I think most of us are probably familiar with the Army recruitment poster that has a serious man, white beard, sort of flag-style top hat. He's a representation of the, the nation, and he's looking at you, and he's pointing at you, and he says, and the message on the poster says, Uncle Sam wants you. And this is a call to serve in the military on behalf of the nation. It's a call to love of country at a time of war. And it's a call to decision. It's a call to patriotic service. And there's something similar for us, a similar call for us who are members of the body of Christ. It's the call of Jesus in our lives. He calls us by name. He points us out and he says, I want you. I want you to follow me. I want you to love me. I want you to serve me. And it's important for us to recognize that we must make a conscious and a life-altering decision to follow Jesus if we're going to be faithful members of the church. It's not good enough just to slip half-consciously into church membership simply because that's how we were raised. And it's not enough to come to worship. It's not enough to show up at programs of the church uh, just to please mom and dad or someone else that we might know. And I think the boy Samuel serves as a good example for us of what's required of each of us if we're to be God's people. Hannah, Samuel's mom, had dedicated him to serve God for all of his life uh, in the temple of the Lord. Uh, she had done this out of gratitude for God that he had given her this son, Samuel, because before that she had had no children. And so Samuel went to live in the temple under the training of Eli, who was the priest in God's service. And one night Samuel heard his voice, a voice calling him by name, Samuel. And he ran to Eli and said, what do you want? But Eli hadn't called. And this happened again, and it happened again. And finally, Eli said, next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, your servant is here, is listening. And what God was doing in that moment was calling Samuel to his own personal decision to serve him. He was not coming to serve the Lord just because his mom had dedicated him to service that had to be Samuel's decision as well. It had to be a life-changing decision on his part that would set the direction of his life for the rest of it. And that's the way it has to be with each one of us. I mean, consider the disciples. There's James and Andrew, Peter and and Andrew and Peter, James and John, there's Matthew, and each of the other disciples, one by one, or we could think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to have lunch at your house. And they were personally called by Jesus to follow him. And they each made a conscious decision to change the direction of their lives and to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And that's God's call to each of us. And when Paul tells the Ephesian church to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, he is reminding them that they have, that they have already made a personal decision to follow Jesus. And now they have to stay faithful to that decision and they have to learn how to live like Jesus in the world. 
Consider how Jesus has called us, each of us. He's called us from darkness into light. He's called us from sin into righteousness. He's called us from guilt into forgiveness. He's called us from death to life. He's called us out of ourselves and into Jesus himself. That's a major theme in Ephesians 1. And then at the end of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that in this calling, we are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. We as the church, are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Uh, That is, we are called to be an incarnation of God himself. We're to be like Jesus. And Paul is saying this, y'all get on with being who you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to do. Now, this theme that he presents in uh, verse 1 being called to live a life worthy of Jesus is a theme that he picks up again in verse 17. And that carries him through the end of the letter, talking about how the church is to live worthily of the Lord. But in verses 2 through 16, the rest of our passage, Paul is saying that before we as a church are able to fulfill our calling to live like Jesus, there are three things that must be in place for us. These things are unity, the grace of God, and growth. And first, Paul says that we are to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. One of the first things we realize when we decide to follow Jesus is that we do it in the company of other Jesus followers. Living worthily of the Lord is an all y'all task. Now, some of you who are, are new to to First Presbyterian Church in the last few years, wouldn't realize this, but my last series of sermons here before my retirement was, I call it the all y'all sermons. Because so much of what uh, the letters in the New Testament are about is a word to the church. We might take it personally that God is speaking to us, but what God is doing is speaking to us as a body when he gives us instructions and things like that. And it is for all y'all to live the life of Jesus in the world. And it's for all y'all to do it together. Don't think of yourselves independent from everyone else around you because you're not. And there's plenty of basis, Paul says, for this sense of our unity. There is one body. We are the body of Christ. There is one spirit. The Spirit sent from the Father and the Son who lives in each of us and in all of us together. There is one hope. It is the promised future that we share that is free from all the ravages of sin and death. We serve one Lord who is Jesus. We share one faith in Jesus as our Savior. We uh, have one baptism, which is the baptism into Jesus' death and his resurrection by which we're new people. There's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. God makes us brothers and sisters in his forever family and we remain that, for that family uh, both now and into eternity. So there is far more, Paul says, that binds us together than anything that might divide us as individuals. This phrase, the bond of peace that characterizes our unity, 
is the flourishing of healthy relationships within the congregation. These relationships, when they're healthy, allow us to become Jesus-like in every area of our life. Uh, And this peace-generated unity that Paul is referring to happens when we turn from selfishness, from self-importance, self-interest, and put in its place humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. And you can go back to that passage and think a little bit more in detail about the significance of each of those aspects of healthy relationship. And we might ask ourselves, well, why is unity so important for us? Well, suppose your grandfather called and said, come over to my house because I'm going to give you a new car. You get over there as soon as you can, you walk into the garage and you see every part of that new car wrapped, boxed, labeled, ready for assembly. What's missing is the unity of each piece properly put together with every other piece. And until that happens, you're never gonna drive a car home. And the church is not made up of people living close but unconnected lives. The church is uh, people bound together by their shared call and their shared life in Jesus Christ. Our unity in the spirit allows us to drive forward as Jesus followers. And without this unity, the church cannot live like Jesus in the world. Now, the next condition for living out our calling is God's grace given to each of us. And this grace takes the form of gifts given to each of us for the good of all of us. These gifts fuel the church's ability to put into practice the servant lifestyle of Jesus. Paul says that they enable us to do the work of ministry or service, the same kind of work that Jesus did when he knelt and washed his disciples' feet. Christ's gift to each of us is used to serve the rest of us and results in the Christ-likeness of all of us. And it is very important that we be involved in the use of our gifts for the benefit of the church as a whole. And this gift that we have, though it might be significant, though it might be praiseworthy in some sense, is not a bragging right. The gift by which we serve is not going to be our access to some kind of spiritual hall of fame. The gifts are given so that through sacrificial service and exercise of these gifts, the other members of the the body of Christ are enriched. And that must be our goal. You can take note that some of these gifts are people who are given to the church in order to anchor it in God's word and to expand its numbers. Um, These first three are apostles, prophets, and evangelists. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that apostles and and, uh, prophets are the foundation upon which the church is built. They lay for the church the foundation of God's word, the groundwork. Evangelists are those who proclaim the gospel in such a way that others hear Jesus calling them to follow him. It's through evangelists that the church grows. But the next categories are shepherds, are pastors, and teachers. Pastors are those who care for the flock, the people of God, who 
like sheep are always needing ongoing oversight. Jonathan Bish and the elders of this congregation are its pastors in this sense. Now, some pastors are also teachers like Jonathan is, though there can be some teachers who are not elders or pastors in the sense that Paul is speaking of. But the ministry of pastors and teachers is to equip, Paul says, or to qualify others in the congregation for service after the example of Jesus Christ. And for the service which each of us has in behalf of the church, each of us has been given a gift to be used in the service of the church. And what we have to take to heart here is that among Jesus' followers, there are no spectators who are sitting in the stands. The grace given to each of us for ministry makes the church this all-y'all organization, an organization for service. No one is excused from being part of a work detail in the life of the church. We're all active players and bringing the life-changing work of Jesus to reality in the world. And that begins here among us in the church. Following Jesus is always going to be on-the-job training. You learn to live like Jesus when you do like Jesus. There are needs in the church for which you have a gift in order to serve. So find those needs, use your gift, and be like Jesus to someone else. Paul says here that another result of the work of pastors and teachers is building up the body of Christ. And that brings us to the final thing which Paul says is needed by the church if we would live the life of Jesus Christ in the world. And that final thing is growth. Paul turns to the metaphor of the church as a body. And he emphasizes the fact that as a living organism, we're always to be growing toward maturity. Paul describes this growth as growing to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We grow, we develop as Christians until the lives that we live are becoming indistinguishable from the life that Jesus himself lived. If we were to apply this to an athlete, it would be the call to a young man or a young woman to develop the same physique, the same strength, the same skill as they're all pro idol in their chosen sport. That's the idea here. Jesus is, we could say, the all pro, the God man. And we're to strive to be like him in every way so that in our humanity, individually and together, the image of God is more fully formed and the life of Jesus Christ is recognized in how we live together. And if we're to be mature disciples, Paul says that we can no longer be spiritual infants. Infants are those who are defenseless against the falsehoods and schemes of the world which seek to draw us away from Jesus. Instead, we're to be well connected with each other and we're to be so well taught by each other that we can speak the truth to one another in love because this is how we grow up into Christ. Scripture is what reveals the content of the truth that should be upon our lips. In Paul's words elsewhere, scripture is described as being useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Scripture is the diet that we need. It brings us the power that we need if we're to grow up into Christ. 
And it is love that makes the truth digestible for us within the body of Christ and makes it able to build us up as the body of Christ. You know, sometimes truth can be wielded like a weapon that wounds and leaves a person emotionally and spiritually injured. And that's why truth must be wielded in love. When we speak the truth in love to one another, then we are growing more and more to be like Jesus and we are more ready and we're more able to lead a life which is worthy of our calling to live the life of Jesus Christ in the world. In summary, Paul's word to all y'all is this. Don't refuse the Savior's call in your life. Follow him. Don't deny the extraordinary unity in the spirit which God has established in us. Don't let your God-given gifts for service go unused within the congregation. And don't neglect your ongoing need to grow to be like Jesus. Nurture growth in one another by speaking the truth in love. And when this is true of all y'all, then you will hear the Lord say to you one day, well done, good and faithful servants. And that's when you will know that living a life worthy of Jesus Christ was worth all the effort that it took. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.